0: You want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It's good to be with you all this morning. Everyone who is still healthy, and even those who are not healthy but uh, are are getting over various issues right now. It's just that time of year when it seems like just absolutely everything is being spread and, and out to get you. Uh, but it's just good to be with you all this morning. Good to see everyone. Good to worship with you. Uh, it's, it's a bit harder to worship, especially in terms of singing with a bunch of, you know, hoarse voices. It, it's a lot quieter. But I will just say, with regard to that, uh, there, I, Paige and I have had the privilege, um, the blessing to be able to worship in several different places, uh, whether it be 200 members or just 10 members. Uh, And one of the things that is, I think, most comforting is no matter if it's a very small group of people who are singing to God and it's a little bit quieter than even a uh, uh, (coughs) 200-member congregation, um, as long as it's done with sincerity and done with the right heart, uh, it is glory being given to God, and that is a beautiful thing. Um, And so... But all that just to say, we do miss the people who are not able to be with us because of these sicknesses. If ever there's a time to pray for the those that are ill, now would be that time. So um, we miss those who are out because of it. And we also just want to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. So that way we uh, can get healthy and, and be able to be together uh, as a whole family once more. Uh, as I said, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we'll be reading from that in just a moment. Uh, if, if Cody is feeling bad from the flu right now, he's probably going to feel worse because I actually told him the wrong order of the sermon topics uh, today. This morning we're actually going to be looking at the, uh, this lesson on fellowship. And then tonight we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy uh, and what I called a divine warning, which I, I'm, I'm excited for the lesson because I think that there's much to take from Deuteronomy. It's actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because um, I think there's just so much rich uh, application that, that we should take from it. Uh, but this morning, I want to continue our thoughts on fellowship, as you see on the screen uh, behind me. And and particularly, just as we've already laid the foundation of what fellowship is. And and you could, it's a long discussion that you could have on fellowship. But I, I wanted to try and make it a basic lesson on what it is. Now I just want to look at uh, even more detail of, of how it is to look in terms of application. What is, what is fellowship? There's a lot of different things we see in the New Testament when it comes to the worship, when it comes to benevolence, when it comes to contributing to the needs of the saints. We, we talked about those things, but what does it mean to be devoted to fellowship? As you see in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, after it says that all of those people were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now we're going to come back to this uh, passage in just, in just a moment. Almost dropped the clicker there. I don't need to break any more things up here, but uh, th- th- we're going to come back to this in just a moment. But I really want to focus on what did devotion to fellowship look like in the first century church, because. When you look at what the apostles talk about, when you look at the pattern that we are supposed to follow within the Holy Scriptures, within the New Testament, this is where we go. This is the example that we want to look at uh, when it comes to how do we apply this in our own lives in the 21st century. and so just three things that I want to look at as we talk about what this looks like, being devoted to fellowship. And I will just say uh, it took a very long time to try and make all of these flow very well, all of these points. They all kind of start with A, so just bear with me on that. But, but uh, three things. First of all, this devotion, I think, uh, when it comes to this fellowship, it is affectionate. And two, it is active. And three, it is an aspiring to be together. It is uh, that togetherness is something that we are to seek after. That's at least what you see in the pattern of of the New Testament. And so let's just look at a few places uh, in Acts and also throughout the rest of the New Testament. But beginning with this notion that it is supposed to be affectionate. And what I mean by that is that, you know, clearly we're not talking about, you know, uh, like many people in the religious world who just say, let's just run away with our emotions. That's not what I'm talking about. But it does need to be that we are investing emotionally in this group. Just like we invest emotionally in our our earthly families. We already talked about a few months ago about how the church is the family of God. Um, And we really need to start applying that if we're not already. Uh, And because it's a family, we need to be just as invested. We need to be more so invested than we are even with with our earthly families because this family takes precedence. It is this role that we have been placed in by God that is supposed to take the top priority. And so a few things on what what I mean by it, it is supposed to be affectionate. Um <coughs> membership is, is clearly a part of the responsibility of fellowship. And, and uh, we'll, that's a separate lesson in and of itself. We'll talk about that eventually. But it, it's just a part of the responsibility that we have. It is not limited to that. It is not like we just get to, you know, be present one day and then, well, I fulfilled my duty. No, it goes way beyond that. In Acts chapter 2, as we already read in verse 42. You see just how devoted they truly were. What does devotion look like? They were together and they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the doctrine. They weren't willing to break away from those things. <clears throat> I like what um, one writer said. I was, I was, as I was studying for this, I, I like to just look at a wide variety of uh, of, of writers and, and listen to a wide variety of sermons. I like to sometimes look at what denominational uh, folks say because I like to see where exactly they want to go. A lot of times you see major differences and, and those are the points that you want to stick to because those, those are the points that you need to uh, force, uh, force even more because we want to look at what the Bible says. But here's an instance where I really liked what uh, the man said. As he was talking about fellowship, he said it is not a kind of... Comfortable togetherness that has no transforming empowering or explosive effect when we meet together Uh, and so uh, being together we're going to end with that thought that is so crucial when it comes to fellowship but it is not just the mere presence as we were talking about a moment ago I I think that's such a pharisaical way of looking at it just to say well we're just going to check the box and that means that we have done our role you haven't you've just merely showed up and that is all you've done. You've warmed a pew. You've just added more germs to the pew. That's essentially all you've done. That's all you've contributed to, to, to the assembly. But we're supposed to be active in the assembly. Um, and so it's it's supposed to be uh, the relationships that we have in the, the family of God, they're supposed to be impactful, something that we invest in and put much stock in, not something that is just a mere, uh, you know, Pleasantry greetings every single Sunday and Wednesday. And we already know that. But going beyond that, it's supposed to be an impactful relationship that we have. But it also is a community of diverse people, but brought to unity through one focus. Now, that, that's a very interesting way of putting, basically, you have a bunch of people that come from a, different, a, a, a myriad of different backgrounds, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different, even ethnicities. But none of that diversity matters when you come to this family. You know, a, a lot of times, especially in our culture today, in, in, in American culture, what you find are people essentially saying, we need to focus on diversity. And in fact, because they are so focused on not being you know, racist or sexist, they make decisions that make them more so. Because the, you know, they're so focused on diversity, they're so focused on maybe just one race or one sex. And they don't realize that, but we can't be like that. I uh, there there's um, I know that there's been studies. um, I can't remember where it was from, but it said you know the more diverse a church is, maybe the longer it'll survive, or the longer it'll you know stay uh, alive and not die out. And and I think that there is something to be said about that. But we can't look at it the way businesses do. We are not supposed to be trying to bring people in just because oh well you know what there's a specific uh, ethnicity that doesn't seem to be. Represented very much in this congregation. No. We bring people in because they decide they want to give their allegiance to Christ. Not to the preacher, not to the elders, not to, not to even any individual member there, but specifically to Christ. And it is by that allegiance that we are able to have fellowship. And we even talked about that when it came to the foundation in 1 John chapter 1. You can only have fellowship with each other if you have a fellowship, a relationship with God the Father uh, through, through Jesus, our intercessor. And so you have to start from that premise. Over in John chapter 17, <clears throat> John chapter 17, uh, in verse 22, it says, uh, "Jesus, as he's praying to God before the cross, uh, it's it's ever present and it's just looming around the corner." In verse 22, it says, "The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one." I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And you could read even more as you look at this beautiful prayer from Jesus and as he's teaching his, uh, his disciples as he is marching towards the cross. But just in the verses we just read, this notion that Jesus wanted, it was his desire that his church be unified. And not just on any random thing, but specifically based on him. It's focused on him. Uh, and through him. And so again, while the rest of the world around us tries to talk about the need for diversity, our main goal cannot be diversity. Our main goal needs to be we are bringing people to Christ. And that is the that is the unity there. But if we try to bring in all of these outside doctrines, if we try to bring all these outside um, really cultures into the church, it's not going to last. It's not going to survive, at least not in sound doctrine. We have to be focused on, on unity through Uh, a a Christ-centered mindset through his word, through the doctrine of of him. Uh, You know, you look at the apostles themselves. There were people that Jesus chose to be his apostles that before meeting Christ, they would not have met in the best of circumstances. I think specifically about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Those two groups of people hated each other in the first century. Before you met Jesus, before encountering Jesus, what would have probably happened was was at the very least, uh, you know, an insult match. At the very least, just a, a show of disrespect, strong disrespect to the other person, because one viewed the other as just traitorous, and the other viewed, uh, you know, the, the and the tax collector would probably view the, the zealots as just a bunch of maybe self-righteous people, and so it would never end in a in a very good uh, dialogue, but. In, at other times, it would end in deadly altercations because they, hated, they thought they were traitors. But then you meet Jesus, and you have Simon a zealot and Matthew, a tax collector, I mean, literally living with each other for a while and, 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 and walking with Jesus side by side, not ending in a deadly encounter, but now dying with one another. You don't do that just because of any kind of random diversity. And the reason I'm sticking with this is because I think we need to look at what the world talks about what, or what the world tries to force in, in their own doctrine when it comes to diversity. We need to focus specifically on unity through Christ. Uh, and and, and I, I say that because you look at a passage like Galatians chapter 3, which we'll just read very quickly before moving on. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. And what does Paul say? about the differences that that people can have. He says, uh, talking about those who are of faith, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. What's the diversity that Paul talks about? What's the diversity that we have to focus on when it comes to what the New Testament talks about? Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of him. That is the only diversity that matters. Um, and, and so uh, we, we need to be focusing on on. Christ and him alone. And you even see, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, he talks about that dividing wall that was put in between. I, you know, I really do think that we can see the kind of vitriol that would have taken place, or at least a degree of that, between Jews and Gentiles. I think you can see it to a degree in politics today, between you know, the, the extremes of Republicans and the extremes of Democrats. You have people whose life, their sole purpose is to provide for the party, whatever party it may be. And when they look at the other side, you, I can't believe, when they have friends who, who are friends with the other party, they say, I can't believe you can even talk to them. How can you even look in their direction? Because they, they, what they uphold is disgusting and just absolutely repugnant to everything they believe. And it is, because that's what their life is based upon. Uh, and what it needs to be is that when we look at what we accept and what we reject, it needs to be based on Christ and a relationship with Him. And so... Our affections need to be won through that vein and that vein alone. Um, But going beyond that, uh, closing out this point of of, of what I think it means to be devoted to fellowship, as you see in the New Testament church, in Acts chapter 2, again, in Acts chapter 2, we already read in verse uh, 42 how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship. But then you look at verse 44 it says, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Again, speaking of that one mind. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, especially in verse 44, it is so interesting that you can have a group of, of 3,000 people having one mind, but being able to have all things in common. <laughs> Again, I do think you, you, it, was, it was Jews there that day. I understand that. But even within Jew, Jewish, the Jewish culture, you would still have some diversity. You don't get all things in common by focusing on all of the things that makes us different. You have all things in common by focusing on the things that make you similar, by, by focusing on the things that really you, you uh, the desires that you share. It tends to be that we are friends with the people that share our interests and it tends to be that we get along most with the people who say a lot of uh, uh, similar things that we do, whether it be about politics or, or you know, just about hobbies that we have. You know, I have a really good time whenever somebody has actually played rugby, because I used to play rugby, not very long, but I really enjoyed it. And so whenever I, I, I talk to somebody and they say that they play a little bit of rugby, instantly kind of like them. But it, it, it doesn't have to be that. It, whenever we find those similarities, it's much easier to... Get involved or get more invested into that kind of relationship. You're starting off with something that you have in common. I mean, that's that's a good icebreaker there. Now, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to uh, religion, uh, that is the most fundamental similarity that we can have. It is the most essential similarity that we're supposed to have. Over in Acts chapter four, uh, saying something very similar. Acts chapter four. Just the church continues to keep growing. Even through much persecution, Acts chapter four in verse thirty-two, it says the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And so you see, just a very similar kind of, of writing to Acts chapter two and verse, verse uh, verses forty-two through forty-four. But all that just to say again, the I think the main reason that they could have this kind of mindset, have this kind of attitude where they can share with one another in such a capacity and they can have all things in common is simply because the focus was not on anything but Christ. And you see it especially at the beginning of the church. Acts is one of the most exciting studies that you can go through because you see how excited everyone was when they become a Christian and how that excitement spreads, especially in Acts chapter 8. Persecution, great persecution it says in Acts chapter 8. Not, not even that could stifle the gospel. What it did was just <laughs> exasperate the, the spread. Those people who had been converted, they just continued. You don't, you don't generally talk about the thing that you had to flee because of. But what did they do? While they were fleeing, even because it was the gospel that caused them to flee, they kept spreading it and they kept talking about it. Um, And and so it's such just a beautiful thought that they would continue to spread it uh, because of that excitement, because of that desire, that desire uh, that we, I think, read about in Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, very quickly, beginning in verse one. When you think about how to become. Uh, one heart and one soul, like-minded. Philippians chapter 2 tends to be a passage that I like to look at. It says in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he gets into a little bit more application. How do we do that? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And why is that? How can we do that? You've got to put on the mind of Christ. You've got to put on the attitude of Christ as he continues on in verses 5 and onward. And we're going to look specifically at Philippians chapter 2 uh, in, in the next couple of weeks as we think about what the attitude of fellowship is supposed to look like. But how do you get there? You have to put the mind of Christ on. If you don't, you're going to be stuck. If you don't, you're not going to be able to have this kind of devoted, dedicated, loyal, allegiant uh, fellowship that we're supposed to have. And you're not going to see that kind of growth you see in the first century. And so what it takes is this kind of affection. What it takes is this kind of, of focus on Christ first and foremost and then his people. And so when we focus on that first, from worship to benevolence to things like hospitality, uh, you'll see that more and more and more, just like you do in in the first century. Well, not only is it supposed to be something that is impactful, uh, that we invest much in, but it is supposed to be very active. Um, I, I think we even talked about this a little bit last week as we looked at what fellowship is. But it is clearly not idle when you look at the word devotion itself, inherently, it immediately rejects any kind of passivity or any kind of idleness, any kind of lazy attitude. When you're devoted to something, if you, if you, um, with the new year coming up, people are going to at least say that they are devoting themselves to all kinds of fads and diets, when really what they, you know, <laughs> uh, there's there's a movie where there was a guy who, used a line that has always been really funny to me. There was a guy, there was a character that just kept saying the same word over and over. He just kept saying inconceivable. And the, his friend would just look at him finally and he said, you know, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And I think sometimes people do that with words like devotion. Because you, what you see is at the beginning of the new year, people are saying, I'm going to be devoted to this diet and then all it takes is just about a week. And it's like, you know, there's... If there's a birthday party going on, I think I can take one day off. It's not even been a week. You're not really devoted. You see it especially in in our culture today when it comes to marriage. How many times do people make a vow saying, I'm devoting myself to you till death do us part? And particularly from a worldly secular mindset, what do you find over and over and over again? They didn't mean that promise. They did not. that, That was idle words that they were speaking they weren't really devoted to that notion, to that idea that I will fully give myself to you, heart and soul, in action, in everything to you. And and yet the, the divorce rates skyrocket every single year uh, in, in just our country alone. And so devotion is clearly a very active thing. And just when you think about marriage, uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, pretty clearly evident uh, in, in terms of when you say that you are going to uh, take care of your wife, husbands. That doesn't just mean that you're gonna say a compliment every day and then never do your, you know, daily duties. That you're not gonna bear your own load, that you're not gonna be taking care of her and providing for her. Uh, rather you're going to be doing much in terms of activity. You're gonna be working to provide for her, you're gonna be working to make sure that she is is not only hearing nice things, but she is receiving true love from you. Over in Hebrews chapter thirteen and verse sixteen or we'll begin in verse 15. It says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And it, uh, particularly as we looked at last week in verse 16, that word sharing is the same word, uh, incidentally, that is used for fellowship in, in other places. And, and we talked about that. But I wanted to look at this specifically because I think it's interesting in verse 15, he talks about some of that worship that we are to offer to God. And then he goes directly into uh, a little bit more fellowship that we're supposed to be participating in or sharing in. But that kind of participation, it's not just us sitting back and saying, I'm going to let everyone else do it. No, if we're devoted to it, it means I'm making myself busy about that kind of business. Romans chapter um, 12 in verse 10, I want to look at the the ESV very quickly because I like the way that the English Standard renders this verse. But it says, love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. I really like that thought because have you ever thought about loving one another the the people here at Lakeside specifically? Have you ever thought in terms of being competitive about loving that person, about honoring the people on the other side of the auditorium? Have you ever thought in terms of I'm going to outdo them by honoring them? <laughs> that I think that's kind of foreign to us sometimes. Uh, but I think you see such a beautiful example with Jesus. He clearly was the greater serving the lesser in John chapter 13. He doesn't say to Peter, uh, when, 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 when the disciples try to say, oh, the, you know, we, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, we need to be washing your feet. He doesn't say, don't say that. He, I think essentially what he says is, you should be. But learn from what I'm doing. It is the teacher serving the servant. And it is the, the greater uh, serving the lesser here. So what application are you supposed to make? Um, and, and I think that it would behoove us much to look at it in these kinds of terms, to make a goal, to outdo one another in showing love and honor, being diligent, truly diligent in that. Um, very quickly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You see this word again uh, for fellowship used here in verse 18. But uh, beginning in verse 17, as he is talking about really the, the temptation of the material things of this world, of riches. And as he's warning against these things, in verse 17, he says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's the word there storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And so clearly there's application there to take about just the material things of this world, the riches that we definitely have uh, and all the blessings that God gives to us, especially in our culture. We can't take those things for granted, and we need to make sure that we're using those in a way that glorifies God and doesn't serve as a stumbling block to us in our relationship with Him. But going beyond that, I love this notion in verse nineteen, where he talks about storing up for yourselves, storing up for themselves, the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Um, and and as he uses that word for fellowship in verse eighteen, I wonder if if uh, thinking about Romans twelve, in outdoing one another and showing honor and, and giving love to one another, can can we store up that kind of attitude? Can we store up uh, for the future that kind of good works, that kind of Deepened fellowship. I think we can, but the question is, are we doing that? Really, that's not even the qu- The real question is, what are we storing up? Because either you're storing that good, uh, deepened affectionate love and honor for your brethren, for the fellowship, or you're storing up the material things. And it can't be, you know, it can't be uh, both at the same time. It's either or. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are we storing up? Are we storing up uh, the, the the honorable things, or are we storing up... The material things. Well, going beyond that, over in Romans chapter 12, again, Romans 12, there's so much in Romans 12 uh, that we can take when it comes to how uh, what fellowship is supposed to look like and how we're to treat one another. But when you think about the activity of fellowship, we must think in terms, uh, I would say, of a responsibility towards one another. In Romans 12 and verse 5, or beginning in verse 4, it says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 12 to 14, Paul says something very similar and he kind of goes in, into even more detail as, as uh, he continues down uh, chapter 12 and he, and he starts saying, you know, just because one part is an eye, that doesn't mean that there's no function, that there's no reason for a hand or, or any other uh, member of the body that still makes up the body. But staying in Romans chapter 12, and thinking about that notion of being members one of another, I really like the way the New English Translation puts this. And it says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individ- individually members who belong to one another. I think that is a really good way of putting it. But do we think in those terms? Do we think in terms of, of saying that I belong as a part of this local congregation and I have a responsibility to, you know, Mark? Who did a, who's been doing a good job in leading us in the singing? Do, do I have a responsibility towards you know, people like uh, McKenna and Dylan? Do I have a responsibility towards you know, whether it be the older generations or the younger generations? The answer, yes, <laughs> you do. If they're a part of the body, then you do have a responsibility. How does the entire body react whenever one part of it gets injured? I I, uh, was listening to a lesson not too long ago, and he was talking through 1 Corinthians 12 as it talks about the members of one body. And he says, and I just thought it was a really good illustration. He said, when you stub your toe, how does your whole body react? It's not just that, you know, just your toe becomes inflamed and red and it's in much pain. The whole body freaks out. It's not just you're jumping on one foot, but now you're, the, you're, the hands are going to your to your foot and they're just holding it. And not only that, but your lungs and your face are making a lot of are, are responding as well. You do the oh, everything responds. And why? Because it's it's trying to assist. It's trying to help that member of the body that's in pain, that needs help. And and when you think about it in those terms, I I I, I think we. I think we definitely have a similar kind of responsibility, a more weighty responsibility. That when one member hurts, we need to flock to that member. And when one member needs help, we need to flock to bear the burden. And, and not only that, not only when it's just in pain, but when, when uh, things are going good, we just continue to uplift and we continue to build up and so I, I definitely think that we have a responsibility to think in those kinds of terms, that we do belong to one another, so that way we're doing all of, uh, that we're fulfilling all of our responsibilities within that body. Um, uh, not too long ago, I was studying with Brother Tom Holly, and we were going um, through the book of Acts, actually, and he was making a comment about just devotion and, and dedication to the faith and to Jesus, Um, And and as we were looking at how dedicated the churches were in the first century and how they met in the most dire of circumstances, he spoke about a group that he studies with in Chile. And um, he, he speaks Spanish, so he's able to have studies with them. And at the time, and this was not even a year ago, at the time when we had that study, he said, to this day, for the last year, a group in Chile has met every single night for an entire year. I don't know if that's continued. But I can only, you know, guess. I, and it seems like if you meet a full year, it's not just going to stop randomly. But I, I, that really got me thinking that there's a church in, in a foreign country that has met every single night for an entire year. And why? Not just for, for silly reasons. Not just to, you know, play a basketball game. But specifically to worship God and specifically to study His Word? That's a beautiful thought. It's a very beautiful thought to think about, but it doesn't become as beautiful whenever it comes into my life because, you know what, i got a lot of things to do. And I just thought, how beautiful that kind of devotion looks. Does that that sound like it's passive? No, it's a very active faith. That's a very active mindset to have. That, I think, is what devotion really looks like. Now, before we move on from this point, over in Hebrews uh, chapter 10... Hebrews chapter 10, this is a very familiar passage, I know, for for everyone. But in Hebrews chapter 10, with all that being said, when it comes to the activity of fellowship, I think that means, as as, as we've already indicated, we need to be more and more busy about the things of our Father, more and more busy about the things of the church, about the brotherhood. In, In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, as we were talking about in the Bible class this morning. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good, good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are a couple things that need to be noted when you look at this passage. We need to focus on the notion that we are not to forsake the assembly. And, and we will talk about that as well at a later date and focus specifically on that. But there is another part of this passage not only, I mean, that's, that's like the fundamental thing. It's just expected that you are going to be together. And so as he says that, he goes even further and he says, okay, not forsaking the assembly, but what are you supposed to be doing when you're together? You're supposed to be stimulating one another to love and good works. You're supposed to be encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so again, it's not an idle, passive mindset. It is, how can I uplift my brethren while I'm here? And one way we do that is by worshiping sincerely, is by participating in the teaching and and being a part of that Bible study like we had in in the first hour this morning. Um, And and so there's there's two different facets there, that we're going to be together, but also that we are thinking about one another. Um, And I think that's a part of how we hold fast that confession of our hope without wavering. It's not just focusing on me. But it's also focusing on on the brethren, on God's people. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How how often does he, what's the frequency that he mentions there in verse 13? Day after day. Does that sound like it is just every now and then? (laughs) No, if you're doing something day after day, it means that you are extremely loyal to that cause. It means that you're extremely loyal to that group. And I think that's the, that, that clearly devo- denotes devotion, diligence, and much effort on whatever uh, it is that we're endeavoring to, to, to do. And specifically when we're talking about the fellowship of the brethren, specifically when we're talking about the work of the church, I think that that's a good uh, example, to say the least, a good passage to look at, um, of how active that we need to be. Um, But the problem is, it's so easy to become busy, not necessarily about the work of the church, but about all of the other really mundane and and profane things. And what I mean by profane is not just evil, but just nothing to do with holiness, nothing to do with God. This happens, I think, especially when you have a gospel meeting and, and you have... A few nights that you know are coming up, right? And and you're gonna, you're, you're planning on being there to encourage the brethren, to encourage the, the the man who's coming to speak for us, and trying to encourage us, especially the man uh, the men that we are supporting and and extending fellowship in that way. And so there's a lot of things that that are supposed to be done during that time, and how we're supposed to be together. But what happens is every now and then might have a, a, a one of the uh, kids has a sports game coming up. Well, that also has been planned. And, you know, they're really counting, the team's really counting on, on, you know, my daughter or my son. Whenever people say that, I just think, what do you think we're doing? <laughs> if they're counting on them, we're counting on them far much more so. Because I think that this is a lot more important. I think this is a lot more impactful and has a lot more to do with eternal things than a football game. I think this has a lot more to do with with our spiritual welfare than maybe just some random day that we decided, oh, I bought tickets to a game and I'm going to go because I don't want to give that up. Well, one thing that we're showing just by default is that we're willing to give something else up, and that is that fellowship that we get to have. And so what are we more busy with? Are we more busy with sports? Are we more busy with work or recreation? Are we more busy with family ties? Or are we more busy about the fellowship of the brethren here? More busy about the fellowship of God. Well, finally, it's 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 affectionate. It's supposed to be active and not passive, but it also is a seeking after that togetherness that we've been talking about. As I already said in Hebrews chapter ten, it's just expected in the New Testament. That's one of the things that I actually bring up whenever I'm making the case for for coming together and, and, and you know when, whenever we have a service to be together as much as possible. It's just assumed by the New Testament writers. That you will be together, like they never say, you know, just just to let you know, make sure that you come together. I mean other than Hebrews chapter ten, where he says, "Not forsaking yourself, but even in that it 's almost in passing it's like of course you're going to be together and, and and which is interesting to say, uh, to say the least, but you look at Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, and all the churches uh, throughout the first century who were so dedicated to come together <clears throat> they it wasn 't just that they We're thinking in terms of, oh, well, I have to do this because, you know, we need to partake of the Lord's Supper. They wanted to be together. I think about Acts chapter 16 when you meet Lydia and that group of women that were trying to meet together. That was a that would have been a very easily discouraged people because you don't have much. But what were they dedicated to? They were dedicated to serving God. They were dedicated to being with one another. And you even see that with Paul. Whenever he goes to a new place, what does he try to do? Of course, he's trying to preach to the Jews and Gentiles alike. But he is also, one of the first things he does is go to brethren. If there's a church there, go to the disciples of Christ. And I wonder if we have that same mindset that we want to be with fellow disciples of Christ. Or do we want to be with others more? Now, this, as we looked at in John 17 and Acts chapter 2, If we want to share all things in common, if we want to have one heart and one soul, one mind, I think that one of the best ways to accomplish this is by being together. Back in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 10 again, uh, beginning in verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Uh, you know, if, if there was one passage to go to to look at what, what the heart of fellowship looks like, I would go to Romans chapter 12, if I had to pick. Because in just a few verses, what you find is, is, is not a trivial matter, it's not a small responsibility. But he says, first of all, you try to outdo one another in love and showing honor. Not only that, but you be diligent. Do not lag behind in diligence. Don't let yourself backslide. Don't let yourself become less fervent in spirit. Make sure that you are focused solely on serving the Lord. And and if you do that, kind of like what Paul talks about with the Macedonian brethren, you give yourself to the Lord first and give yourself to the brethren as well after that. Um, and, and so I think that this is best accomplished when we are together and when we're trying to spend more time with the people that have the same mindset. Not not only that, but have the same goal. You're not going to grow with people who have ultimately a far different goal than you. If you're trying to get out of debt, the best thing to do is definitely to not put yourself around or start listening to people who are in the same boat as you. No, you go to people who have done a good job in getting out of debt, or you go to people who you know are doing a good job of paying their dues <laughs> and trying to get out of it. You don't go to the people who have done a really good job of getting in the same position you're in. No, you, you, you go to the people who have the same goals. And I think that uh, it, it, there's a similar thing that we can say when it comes to the fellowship here. Our goal is to get to heaven, and the only people that can help you in that are the people who have that same mindset, who have that same end in sight. Uh, but as we indicated earlier, it's not just a, a, the notion that we're coming together to check a box. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we merely showing up, or are we truly taking care of each other? In Romans 12 and verse 13, he talks about practicing hospitality. How are we doing in that? You know, hospitality, that is a qualification for an elder. But that's not just for people who are, for men who are trying to be elders. How, how are you doing in that, individually? <laughs> Are you practicing hospitality? And not just with random people in the context of Romans 12, he's talking about brethren. How are are your relationships going in that degree? Or are we just not trying at all? Um, In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as I was just mentioning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. I love the the dedication that he talks about with the Macedonian churches. It says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Do you have that kind of desire where you want, even in poverty, even in the, the, the moments where you feel where there really isn't much more that you can do, do you at least have the desire to do more for brethren like the churches of Macedonia? I think that is a very honorable uh, demeanor, a very honorable att- attitude to try to uh, aspire to. Um, and, and I think especially in terms of not just with support, but having that desire just Simply, simply to be together. Um, as we've been saying over and over again, I think that it is very easy to fall into the temptation of, uh, well, of course I'm going to be with these people on Sunday and Wednesday, but I'd much rather be with the people that I'm going to be with, you know, Sunday evening, or after evening services, of course, or, or you know, maybe on Monday. I'm not saying we can't have friends outside of outside of church. Don't think I'm saying that, but it needs to be that our deepest relationships are with the ones who share our same goal of heaven, who share our same standard. And I don't think it's very helpful or effective when we're surrounding ourselves with people who don't have that same goal. And so I just want to end with the question, who are you trying to spend more time with? Uh, When thinking about that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, as Paul is talking about the resurrection and the importance of that, he says, if the resurrection didn't occur, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our hope is vain. We are above all people to be most pitied. But then in the middle of that, he says in verse 33, listen, bad company, make sure that you're not corrupted by the people that you surround yourselves with. Because apparently there were people who were not sharing that same hope or or, uh, preaching something different than the resurrection. And and there's a wide variety of applications we can make from that, but especially in terms of our fellowship, if we are trying to go, it matters who we're spending our time, uh, grow, it matters who we're spending our time with. And, It doesn't just have to be, you know, flesh and blood people right in front of us. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm more of an introvert and I really don't want to spend much more time with anyone outside of services. Okay, maybe that's the case. But there are still relationships. There are still people that you aspire to listen to and that you aspire to spend time with. If you have a TV, if you have a favorite show that you like to binge watch just because the people are not right in front of you that does not mean that you're not listening to those people that does not mean that you're learning from those people there are a lot of people who are married and 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 you know struggling to figure out how to resolve issues and one of the i really believe and and just just in in terms of personal experience but also in just the, the studying i've tried to do in in how people uh, think how you need to resolve conflict especially in a marriage I think one of the main issues is that they're getting their education from all the wrong places, specifically Hollywood. You do something wrong. Okay, well, you start walking away. Someone's going to catch you and say, listen, it's not really as bad as you think. <laughs> That's not how life works. How long have you been married? Evidently not long. No, when you, make a, when you cause a problem, it's your responsibility to fix it. Not the other person's. They're not going to come running after you, especially when you just disrespected them. The only reason people think that way is because of what they listen to and choose to listen to. And so don't think that just because you're not... Sur- Maybe you are an introvert and you're not surrounding yourself with, with actual real-life people in front of you. The stuff you listen to, the stuff you take in, the entertainment we watch, it does still corrupt. Don't think that just because we're in the comfort of our own homes that the devil doesn't use that as, as still hostile, hostile territory. No, those are the moments where I think he does his best work. Because, hey... You're comfortable. You can shut your mind off. No, you can't. And so who are we really trying to spend our time with? Are we trying to spend more time after that entertainment? Are we trying to spend more time trying to be together with our brethren? Or are we spending more time trying to figure out less time, uh, the, uh, the, the less amount of time that we have to spend with brethren and more time we get to spend outside of services together? So I think those are a few things, a few questions that we need to ask ourselves and think about internally to try and, and mimic the kind of devotion we see in the first century. Well, you may be a Christian, and as we've looked at some of these things, looked at the, the, the New Testament, what the New Testament has to say about that kind of devotion, you may realize that you have not been as devoted as you should be. Maybe you realize that you have not been as devoted as the churches in Acts that we find over and over again. If not, guess what? We've all been there. The answer is not to just stay there and say, well, I guess I'm just human. No, the answer is correct it. And we correct it, as we see in Philippians chapter 2, by coming back to the mind of Christ, putting on that attitude, repenting and becoming a true disciple of him. But if you are not a Christian, I would just ask, wouldn't you like to be a part of a fellowship, of a group that hinges not on the reliability of the rest of the group necessarily, but specifically on the love of one infallible, trustworthy God? That will never err, as we talked about in the Bible class, the way humans tend to do. We have a God who says, I'm always going to be faithful. I'm always going to be there. You've got to take the next step, though. Don't let his mercy run dry during this life. Make sure that you take him up on that invitation. So if you're subject to the invitation of Christ, by any means, please let us assist you in any way that we can. Let Me me, be made known as we stand and as we sing.